So we've been exploring what does it mean to live as exiles in this world. Uh, we've been looking at the book of Daniel because Daniel was literally an exile. He was carried off from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, the Bible uses the idea of exile as a picture for an aspect of the Christian life. Now, for most of us, the vast majority of us, we are not literally exiles. We've not been torn from our home country and stuck down in a, in a country, in a nation that, that, that is unfamiliar to us and having to deal with all the heartache of having to leave and find your way. We've not had to deal with that, most of us. And we pray for and want to support those, including those amongst us who are in that situation. But nevertheless, the Bible uses the idea of exile, of being in a place where we don't quite fit in, where we don't really belong, because our home is somewhere else. And we are citizens of heaven. That's where we belong. And we're just passing through this world, and at times it just feels like we don't quite fit in. Sometimes people are indifferent to us, other times people are hostile to us, because as Christians we do not fit in with this world. Another uh, image, illustration, if you like, that the New Testament uses, which is kind of similar but different, is it calls us ambassadors. Ambassadors of the kingdom. We have been sent from one place into another place to represent the interests of the place that we were sent from. We represent the interests of heaven here on earth. Now, one of the challenges of exiles, which Daniel, the book of Daniel is largely about, is how we have to make sure we stay faithful to the place we came from and the God we serve and not bow down to the idols of the world that we're in. And if you can imagine an ambassador sent from one country, if he starts becoming more aligned with and fitting in with the country he's been sent to, he's not a very good ambassador or she is not a very good ambassador because they are to represent the interests, the values of the country they have been sent from. We have been sent from heaven to this earth and we must be different from this world. That's what we've been looking at. And we've been impressed, haven't we, by Daniel as a man and his friends as well. There's all kinds of ways in which we've, we've learned from him. We've learned his faithfulness and loyalty to God. He did not bow down to the idols of Babylon. We've learned about how hard he and his friends worked. Because to be an exile in the world does not mean we're against the world. In fact, we are encouraged to be a blessing to the world. And these guys, through their hard work and their diligence and their skill and their integrity, were a blessing to Babylon. We've learned also about his humility. He was a guy who, though he was very, very gifted, acknowledged that his gifting came from God. Didn't seek glory for himself. We've acknowledged and learned from his humility. And last week, Trevor was teaching us about, was it last week? Was it last week? <laughs> I lost track of time. But um, I think he was teaching us about that Daniel was a man of integrity and a man of faith. He did the right thing and trusted God with the consequences. Even if the consequence was being thrown into a den of lions. He was a man of integrity and a man of faith. But you know, you, we cannot really understand this man, Daniel, nor can we understand the story of Daniel unless we realize the key thing about him 
is that he was totally focused upon and occupied with heaven and God's eternal kingdom. You see this again and again. This is why I need the Bible rather than my phone. I'm not, I'm not quick enough on my phone to have more confidence that I'll get it to the verse in the Bible, although I've got the wrong glasses on, so I can't be totally confident about that. We'll see how we do. But you see, for example, when he does this amazing thing of, of interpreting the visions and the dreams that the kings have, the king says, I hear you, you're a great interpreter of dreams. And, and, and Daniel says, showing his humility, no, no, it's not me. But there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And this, this line, the God of heaven, comes out again and again. And there are other, there are other uh, passages. For example, in chapter 2 and verse 28, it says, um, There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. That's the one I just referred to. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. And then in verse 44 of the same, gosh, I really have got the wrong glasses on, of the same, oh yeah, this is a wonderful, well this summarizes what Daniel's about. In the time of these kings, that is the kings of this world, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all these kingdoms of the world and bring them to an end. But it, i.e. the kingdom of God, will endure forever. Yes. Thank you, Paul. I should have just asked you, shouldn't I? <laughs> okay, and then turn with me to chapter 4 and verse 3. Um, no, that's chapter 3. Uh, how great are his signs, talking about God. How mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. And then I will read this together with you, the whole passage. This, is, this shows what an impact this man who is totally occupied with, focused on, has his faith rooted in the God of heaven and this eternal kingdom. Kingdoms will come and go throughout the, the ages, but he is occupied with a kingdom that endures forever. And this is the impact he has on a tyrannical, evil king, really, Nebuchadnezzar. This is what Nebuchadnezzar says as a result of Daniel's influence and of God's dealings with him. He becomes like a beast and then, you know, we've been through this and then is restored. And he says this, this is how he's restored. Verse 34, um, i tell you what, let me just read it. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. But Paul, just play, get it up for me. So I can read. His, that's right. His dominion, this is what Nebuchadnezzar, a tyrannical king, is saying. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward, where? Heaven. And my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High, the God of heaven. I honored and glorified him who lives forever, the eternal God. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. And the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, Praise and exaltify and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just 
and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble, which is what he'd done to Nebuchadnezzar. That summarizes the book of Daniel right there. But as a result of Daniel's faith in the God of heaven, this king ends up saying, praise my soul, the king of heaven. He sees the king of heaven. And, and the only way to understand why how Daniel is this amazing man that he is, is to realize that he was totally rooted in, occupied with, focused on the God of heaven and his eternal kingdom. You see, heaven is important, but it's not the end of the world. I'll let some of you catch up with that one a little bit. You see, we think of heaven as what happens at the end, where we go when we die. But you know, we sang a song earlier. Did you get that line? It says, heaven's all around us. Heaven is not just the place we go to when we die. Oh yeah, we are going to be with him for all eternity. Praise God. But, but heaven is all around us. It's, that, it's, God, it's the dimension, the invisible dimension, the unseen dimension that influences everything that's happening in this world. And we're not going to look at the chapter. We've only done Daniel 1 to 6. But I've spent the last couple of days looking at Daniel 7 to 12. And I've only just recovered it's, it's kind of mind-blowing. It's all these strange visions and, and dreams and so on of, of beasts and things. And interestingly, what Nebuchadnezzar saw in Daniel chapter 2 and was quite impressed by this great statue, Daniel sees in chapter 7 and sees them as they really are, as devouring and destructive beasts. That's what the kingdoms of the world are. But he sees it from a heavenly perspective. Now, I'm not going to get into all of the things that happened, but, but there is a, a spiritual realm, an unseen heavenly realm. There are battles going on there, so he sees evil things as well as God's angels and, 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 and God's working all things together in time, in history, to his eternal plan. I don't know what your experience has been. I, I have had not had much, but I remember when I was a relatively young Christian many years ago I remember waking up in the middle of the night and was convinced that there was a demonic presence at the end of my bed and a really strong sense of evil and it had an effect kind of upon me trembling to begin with but then I just rebuked it in Jesus name and went back to sleep I must have had more faith and I don't know but 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 I was aware of a demonic presence it happened one more time to me when walking along the street and then in this room once, many years ago, we were kind of over there somewhere. I think we had some seminar, midweek seminar, something going on about worship and prophecy. And we were all worshiping. And I was stood just, just over there and was convinced that somebody passed by me just behind singing. And I just almost felt that. And I turned around and there was nobody there. I'm convinced to this day I, I was aware of an angelic presence. See, but I've just had those little, in all my Christian life, just those little experiences of a sense of the unseen eternal realm. There may be some of you here have had something similar, had something more. But Daniel lived with this constantly. He lived with an awareness of and a sensitivity to this spiritual unseen realm. And I've, as I've been looking, by the way, at this, Daniel's experience of this in these later chapters, 
If you're going to read them, by the way, read them with a good commentary. You know, start with the Bible project, otherwise it gets really, really confusing. And there's a lot of rubbish out there about it meaning spe- these specific things to do with the European Union and stuff like that. Well, you see, the, 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 there was a beast with ten horns. And when the European Union only had ten countries, that, well, that was it. That was the Antichrist. And then suddenly it's got loads more than ten, and they, they've got to rethink it all. But don't be, don't be persuaded by all that stuff. But what it is teaching us is this. There is a battle going on between good and evil. And ultimately, God and his kingdom triumph. That's all that you need to know for now. We're not going to try and unpack it all now. It's all you need to know now. But I, two things I want to mention, just two things that really leapt out to me over these last couple of days. The one is this. Do you, do you realize, as we've been following the book of Daniel, the story of Daniel, he's an old man by now. So when he's thrown into the den of lions, you know, he's in his 80s. We often think of Daniel as just a young guy, like this Daniel here. You know, we often just think of him as a a young guy. So when he was... (laughs) (coughs) How old are you now? Sorry, that's right. He had his 40th birthday this week, everybody. This young guy, 40 this week. There we go. But when Daniel was dragged out of Jerusalem to Babylon, he was probably a teenager still, late teens. And thinking he's gone through the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, the reign of Belshazzar, now in the reign of Darius the Mede, and uh, the years have gone by. We just read the chapter straight after one another, but years have gone by between them. He's 80 years old. One of the things that struck me is this. It's not about what age you are. It's about what your eyes are fixed on and what your heart is gripped with. And I want to encourage you, those who are of more senior years, I will let you decide whether that relates to you or not. Hold on tightly to what you've seen of God's kingdom. Stay faithful to the dream. There's a horrible, the terrible line from a, a poem of words where it said, the things that I have seen, I now can see no more. That's a horrible thing. Don't, hold on to what you've seen of God's kingdom. I'm glad you referred to Simeon. It was on the Lectio 365 yesterday and touched my heart as well that this older man, he's just full of the Holy Spirit and he had a word from the Spirit that he would see the Messiah. And when he'd seen him, do you know the thing that Alison said this to me? I thought it was a great point because we were talking about it. She said, um, it was okay for him just to see him as a baby. He had in his heart, he'd seen in vision all that the Messiah would be, the great liberator, the great saviour, of Jerusalem and the whole world, but it was enough for him just to see the little baby. He says, now I can go home in peace. And I know there are some of us here, I'm sure many of us who have a vision of what the church could be, what the church is meant to be. And we long to see the church rise up and be all that God has purposed it to be, transforming our world. But I wonder if we could just at least be content just to see the little squalling, pooing, puking little baby that the church still is and yet still have faith and still have confidence that this church will become, not just this church, but the church will become all that God's intended it to be. But we need in these days, it's going to be so much important in the future for the church that we are intergenerational, that we have Fathers and mothers who have dreamed dreams and young men and women who are seeing visions. That the hearts of the fathers and the mothers are with the hearts of the sons and the daughters. It's so important that we learn from and listen to and draw from 
those who've walked faithfully with God over many, many years with a dream in their heart that they've never let go of. That's the first thing that struck me. The second thing that struck me as I looked at these chapters was um, we talk about, I've often talked about, you know, we live in the light of eternity. That's important. That's, that's the message of Daniel. Live in the light of eternity. And yet sometimes it's not so light. And we like to think of somebody who lives in the light of eternity, somebody spiritual like that, Daniel, as the guy who kind of walks around just all in a kind of, you know, dream like uh, state of so spiritual, you know, just looking at angels and with harps and things or whatever. I don't know. But you actually look at the Daniel, and when he sees his visions, he's disturbed. He's distressed. He, he cries out for the world, which is full of such evil. And he cries out in repentance for the church or the people of God who are under God's judgment, who are not being what they should have been to point the world to a better world, a better place, a better way. And he, is, he feels the pain of it. He cries out in anguish to God. To see the eternal is not always to live in the light of eternity. It's to bear the weight of that vision. It's what makes this guy a prophet. A prophet is not just somebody who prophesies now and again. He's, he, he's seen or she has seen something of the eternal realms. And it's, they carry it like a weight at times. It's just two things that occurred to me reading those chapters. But we are to be a people of heaven. And too often, folks, and I don't mean this to judge, I, I, I'm not speaking as the expert. I'm speaking or the challenger to everybody. I'm speaking as a fellow pilgrim and one who's equally challenged by this. But I think sometimes the world is just too much with us. We're too occupied with the stuff of this world. And we've been born for heaven. We've got this eternal destiny. There's that again, I quoted the Wordsworth. Forgive me, I like poetry, so let me quote him again. Famous quote from Wordsworth. He says, the world is too much with us. Late or soon, getting and spending, we lay waste our powers. The world is too much with us. We're so occupied with the stuff of this world. He describes it as getting and spending, you know, acquiring stuff. But it could be trying to be successful. It can be just sometimes trying to manage all your problems and your troubles. and things. But the world, we just get so full of the stuff of this world. And Wordsworth says, when that happens, he says, we lay waste our powers. It's like there's a potential within us. There's a power within us that is wasted when we are too occupied with this world. And so my prayer, what we've learned from Daniel, my prayer for myself, my prayer for you, is that we become just caught up with and preoccupied with and filled with a sense of the eternal, a sense of heaven, a faith in the God of heaven. Let me just quickly say some things I think that will be. By the way, C.S. Lewis says, you know, because this we have this, you might have heard this idea, you can be too heavenly minded to be of any earthly use. That's rubbish. The only earth, the best earthly use you can be is when you're heavenly minded. C.S. Lewis says, I can't remember the exact quote, but, but something like the people who have done most for this world have been those who have been most preoccupied with the next. Okay, with heaven. I think it's true. So here's a few things for us to help us to be heaven focused. Like Daniel. First of all, Let's be a people who live with the perspective of heaven. We live with the perspective of heaven. We're not too distressed 
by what's going on in the world because we live with that long view. We live with a sense of God's eternal plan being unfolded even in all the bad stuff that's come out today where we think there's ruins, there's actually foundations of a kingdom work. Not distressed, but neither are we impressed by too much in this world. Things come and go. You know, people seem so important. You know, even in the church, fads and things come and go. That's why you need people who've been around a long time because they've seen these fads come and go and they ain't that impressed much anymore. I love the story. I've probably told you this story before. It's one of my favorite stories. I've probably told you before because I like it so much. And I've probably told you before because as well as my eyes going, one of the things I found when I get older is my memory's going. So I, I could have told you this just two weeks ago and forgotten it. So forgive me if I did, but I love it so much. And it's a a little story, it's just a short thing really, it's, um, it was a story is told of these soldiers who've been fought in terrible battles and seen awful and terrible things. And they had been brought home and were on a time of recovery, <coughs> excuse me, and recuperation. And um, they had been sent to some coastal town, I don't think of Blackpool or Scarborough or something like that. <laughs> to recover and to recuperate. But in this, in this um, coastal town, all the benches that were along the promenade were turned with their back to the sea and were facing all the shops and cafes and things along there, you know, where there was just fripperies like, I don't know, rock and kiss me quick hats and little windmills and candy floss and stuff like that, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know, rubbish. You know, we all like it. We've got a nostalgic thing about it, but rubbish, really. Tat. And, um, and, and as you walked along, these soldiers who'd gone there, as you walked along the promenade after they'd been there, all the benches had been turned around. So their back was to all the fripperies and tat, and they were facing the ocean. Because when you've seen the evil that's in this world, you're just not impressed with or bothered with tat and the fripperies that this world has to offer. You're looking for something bigger and greater and for a greater horizon. So you look through this promenade and all the benches have been turned around to face the ocean, to face the greater horizon. Folks, live with the perspective of heaven. Here's another thing. Live with the principles of heaven. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. There are some right ways to live in God's kingdom. We say, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth and as it is in heaven. Lord, what, what is your will for how we behave and how we live our lives? Let's live by the principles of heaven. There's a saying, isn't there? If it's good enough for heaven, it's good enough for earth. If we are going to be a people, not just trying to get to heaven, but bring heaven to earth, let's live by the principles of heaven. Frankly, if gossip and backbiting is not fit for heaven, it's not fit for earth. It certainly isn't fit for the church that's meant to be the gateway to heaven. That's what Jacob says, it's the house of God is the gate of heaven. When people come into, amongst the church, they should feel like they're on the very threshold of heaven. There's no place for backbiting or gossip in the kingdom of God. If it's a principle of God's kingdom that you forgive the people who've offended you and hurt you, if it's good enough for heaven, it's good enough for earth. Well, let's live by the principles of heaven. You work out what it is that God's speaking to you about, but live 
by the principles of heaven. Here's another thing. Live by the priorities of heaven. What's your life determined by? What's your daily life shaped by? Please understand, I'm challenging myself with this question as well, okay? What is my daily life determined by? Is it the circumstances that demands upon my time? Is it all the things that need doing? Is it, what is it? Daniel was a high political official in the kingdom. He would have had many, many demands upon him. But we read three times a day, he sought God in prayer. He made time to seek God in prayer. My friends, we need to make time for the God of heaven. And I'm, I'm not trying to put guilt trip anybody, and I know it's a challenge. Life is full, and life is hard at times. But we need to prioritize walking before the God of heaven. Can I just say this? We need, I believe, if we want to see God move in our church and in our town, we need to prioritize seeking God together. As we move into the new year, I want to put out that challenge. We need to come together just to seek his face and to hear from him. We need to have kingdom priorities. Has he got another P? Yes, he has. We have the perspective of heaven, the principles of heaven, the priorities, but oh my goodness, <coughs> we need the power of heaven. We need the power of heaven. Jesus ascended to heaven. He says, I'm going to go. I've got to go to the Father in heaven so that I can pour out the Holy Spirit. Who you now see and hear. You know, when the people are filled with the Holy Spirit, you're meant to see and hear it. Just saying. <laughs> and as we move into the new year, we're going to be looking together at the Holy Spirit, who is the one that, you see, this kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. This, the, the, the Holy Spirit is the one who makes eternity, who makes heaven real to us in everyday life down here on earth. So as we move into the new year, one of the things we're going to be doing is looking at what, who is the Holy Spirit and what does it mean to live with and by the Holy Spirit? Because we need, the only way we can live a life lived in the light of eternity and of, the, and of heaven is by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's be those who live by the perspective of heaven, the principles of heaven, the priorities of heaven. And oh, Holy Spirit, come. Fill us with your power, the power of heaven. Let me just finish here. There was a, the Apostle Paul, you know, one of my favorites. All through his, weaving as a thread all through his letters is his sense of, heaven it's the sense of the eternal in Philippians chapter 3 I've been meditating upon recently he talks about I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus he wrote to Timothy we're all we are those who long for his appearing longing for Jesus to come again and for heaven and earth to be joined and for there to be all things made new and to live with him for all eternity he had a longing for the eternal he was the one who said you know what I don't know whether to die Go with be with heaven or stay and help you lot. I'd rather die, you know, I'd rather go and be with him. I mean, he had an amazing sense of the eternal, of the heavenlies. But he literally had a heavenly vision. The resurrected Jesus appeared to him on the Damascus Road. And when he was before Agrippa, King Agrippa, uh, being um, judged for his being a Christian and preaching the gospel, 
He just said this to King Agrippa in Acts 26, verse 19. I think we've got it. He said to King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly division. I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. No? Okay. Acts 26, verse 19. It doesn't matter. You do want the next one, though, 2 Corinthians 4. So, my friends, let us be those whose lives are governed by, constrained by, led by a vision from heaven. We've seen the God of heaven. We've seen his eternal kingdom. And that's what we live by and from. And if you're thinking, but Trevor, you don't know how hard it is for me, how difficult, how challenging it is for me. I, I, I understand some. But Paul said this also, and I'll finish on this. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 to 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. <laughs> Some of us feel like it at the moment, don't we, with all these calls going around. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. We're not laying waste our powers. In other words, we're being renewed by day by day. For our light and momentary troubles in the light of eternity are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Therefore, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is see, unseen is eternal. My friends, let's not live for this just visible, temporary, passing world. Let's live for the unseen, eternal, heavenly kingdom. Thanks, guys. You know, one of the things we could do now, I'm going to ask you to stand in a moment, and we are going to worship again. <coughs> I could make an appeal. We could have a moment where we recommit and resolve to live in the light of eternity. And we should. That's a good thing to do. But I've realized this will happen not by the intensity of my feeling in a moment, but the intentionality of my actions day by day. Daniel prayed three times a day, every day. It's what we do each day, not just what we do in this moment. However, I would ask you to stand and I will pray for us all that God will grant us this vision of heaven, this eternal realm that Daniel saw and lived in the light of. And as we sing, just ask the Holy Spirit to just, I don't know, do something in your heart. So as you move into the new year, we resolve day by day, intentionally, to make space, to make time for the God of heaven, that we're not pulled and pushed about by this world, but we live from another world. So Holy Spirit, come right now. Move among us, move within us. Do whatever you need to do in each one of us. Say whatever you need to say. Thank you, Lord, you're not about guilt, but you are about challenge. And where we need to make adjustments, Lord, help us. Come Holy Spirit, you love us so much. You are the helper. You're the one who makes heaven real to us, eternity real to us in everyday life. <laughs>